This is a public service announcement from Anatomy of Movie, reminding you to always be yourself unless you can be Batman. That's right. We're here to talk about Lego Batman the movie. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Anatomy of a Movie. We have a full panel today, excited to talk about Lego Batman the movie. <laughs> Lego Batman movie. It's got a long title. I just call it the Lego Batman. Uh, we have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. How we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And we have a newcomer, an intern from the shadows, been plucked and put onto the panel. Amelia Like a Lego piece. That's right. Plunge right stuck in. here. <laughs> this is her very first show ever. My debut. Thank you so much. Um, as we always do, well, first and foremost, we assume that you've seen the movie, but don't worry. There's not much to spoil, I guess, although maybe there is, depending on how you, how you, um... Batman's Bruce Wayne. What? What? <laughs> there you go. Um, but as always, let's start with, well, let's start with overall impressions. Let's start with you, Amelia, because... This is your first one. Okay. Kick us off. All right. Well, I absolutely love this movie. I mean, I am no superhero connoisseur by any means, but I feel like you didn't mean to need to be to get a, to get all those references that were dropped in this movie. I thought it was phenomenal. It's a great movie. Nice and concise. <laughs> yeah. Marissa. Uh, yeah, you know what? I watched the first Lego movie the for the first time at the theater when that came out, and I was like very apprehensive about it. But as I kept watching it over and over again a few times, and then people, you know, loved it, and it kind of became a, I don't want to say cult, you know, cult hit, but so it was a big surprise for a lot of people, and I found myself fairly call surprised. It a hit. Yeah, it was a, it's hit. a, it was a hit. It was, it was a, a hit. hit. It was a bona fide hit. I personally yeah, enjoyed the first one, so I was like really expecting <laughs> to enjoy this one, and like I enjoyed the DC world. Um, this was funny. There was so many references that I laughed at. And it was fun, energy through and through, and I really enjoyed this one as well. Dimitri? Yeah, I mean, holy bat-tacular. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, thus far, it's, you know, the most fun I've had at the movies in 2017. I know there's a lot more of 2017 to go, but considering two movies already this year have made me angry, and we're already in February, for me to really <laughs> say that I had a great time... That means a lot. Um, it, you know, this movie just made me laugh. And the Batman throwbacks are crazy fun. And just for kicks, they throw in Doctor Who. I mean, that was awesome for me. Uh, everything is awesome in this Lego movie follow-up. I think Batman is the perfect superhero to, to really poke fun at. And Chris Nolan, Tim Burton, Adam West, Burt Ward, and okay, I'll even throw in Joel Schumacher... They all had to have had a good chuckle at this Lego Batman movie if they went and see it, and they should. I know I did. Now, go get me a can of that bat shark repellent and a rope ladder, and I'll be good. Uh, yeah, for me, I, I love this movie. Um, I was very excited to see this movie. Um, I don't go to many advanced screenings just because of time. This was one that I was like, all right, I'm doing this. Um, I loved all the references. I'm glad... You know, I'm very well versed in the Harry Potters of the world, the, the Batmans of the world, and I've seen all the Batmans, so uh, it made it very in-depth for me. However, um, if there's one caveat, I didn't, it didn't quite have the same um, 
the same not twist but the same creativity as the first Lego Batman movie and um, that was the only portion of it for me that was missing and but, and there were moments for me that were just a little bit too long which were for the kids because I noticed that the kids were laughing so I could forgive it in that respect but if, if it was strictly a movie for me I would have cut certain things but yeah. I understand but I want to go back to something that you said, Marissa. You you said at the top, I think the Lego movie, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but it took me by surprise. Because I think the first thing that might go through a movie audience's head when they see advertisement for a movie called The Lego Movie is that this is going to be a 90-minute commercial for Legos. It's going to be a cash grab. Okay? So when you go and see it, and the kids really love it. And there's a difference, too. There's a difference between kids' movies and animated movies that there's a fine line. Sometimes they're just for kids, okay, where only the kids are going to love this movie. Minions. And the, yeah, min- Minions, like, you know, the Smurfs movie, whatever. There are movies that the parents have to take the kids to that the kids are only going to love, and the parents are going to be like, get me the hell out of here. For Lego Movie, that could have been true, but when it's an actually funny movie, and it's good, and that the adults can watch it, like a good Pixar movie, or some of the DreamWorks movies that cater to the young and old, that's when a movie clicks. And I think the Lego movie, that's where it surprised everybody. It wasn't go buy Legos after you see this movie. You had, it had thematically, it was a lot of fun. It had great comedy. And it, I think, go yeah, ahead. Sorry, it, it had a good balance of, you know, directing its audience for the the, the demographics. Absolutely. Kids enjoyed it. Adults enjoyed it. Females enjoyed it. Men enjoyed yeah. it. Like, it covered the gambit of how many people, like, really liked it for the nostalgia factor, for the practical factor of it. And I think um, Lego, like, that movie did a great job establishing the universe and what we can expect out of, you know, the, the comedy, the humor, the timing of everything. And I think this one did a good job of, like, knowing now that, that that's the universe, we can also right. expect it in the second one. Well, let me ask you guys this, just to, to kick things off. Uh, why didn't we see a kid playing with Legos in this one? Just to, just to give it that sort of consistency. Because, uh, you know, I mean, the fact that there's other characters, you know, like the Voldemort, uh, you, you imagine a kid sort of uh, being the puppeteer of, of this world, and therefore this is the reason, and it makes sense, but we never saw that. I think it might be because there were so many references that go that are definitely catered towards the adults. Like, a, a 10-year-old kid playing with Legos now is, are probably, good chances, not going to know all the Batman references from the 60s and the 50s however long Batman's been around so and then there are just other villains and references in this film that granted if you take it from a kid good chance that they're not going to know all these characters that was smushed into this movie that really catered to the adults who are watching this right now yeah I mean I'll take it as I, I, I think because the world has already been established mm-hmm. you know in Batman Batman is in the original Lego movie and we're just taking him in his own movie, his Lego movie here. And I think because the world was already established as to builders, you know, what builders can do. And it's pretty well established that Batman, as a Lego character, is also a builder and what he can do. We don't need to see that kids are doing this. I think that the the Lego universe, this is a an expansion of the universe. 
we've already had the setup. Now we're in the, the Lego universe even more. And even Chris McKay says for the next Lego movie, the Ninja Magna Ninjaga, <clears throat> Ninjaga <laughs> movie, and the next Lego, you know, Lego movie two, there's gonna be more expansion of this universe that that people are going to latch on to. So it's just about building and it's doing the right thing for a sequel. And we don't need to see kids playing with it because we already know that there are master builders uh, who, who can develop this world. And I think they did. I think they did a great job um, in doing that because it's not a sequel. It's just it's a companion. Well, that, that's yeah, what I'm it's saying. like well, Cloverfield. It's like Ten Cloverfield Lane. It's it, not a sequel. It's a parallel companion. But we're in the yeah. same world. <laughs> well, that's why. That's why. Like because it's not a sequel, 100. percent That's why it would have. Just a nice reminder of that. But, uh, Amelia, what, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely don't think it was necessary to see kids and or for kids to even see kids. I think it's one of those movies where it's I almost like that better. It leaves it more up to the kids' imagination to see, you know, themselves yeah, playing, interacting me. with this world. It was so, just me. Fair enough. Take? Um, what, what I loved about it was it's the same people back for this movie. Right, um, and Seth Grant Smith, he 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 wrote it. Um, we, we've talked about him before. Absolutely, um, Emerson Lum, by the way. Yep. Um, and uh, as well, I mean, <laughs> soon to be an Emerson alum. Yes. Uh, but you know, we we talked uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and how much sure. that was fun. And yeah. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer, and, and so this is just a different version of it in, in, in more kid friendly um, with Legos yeah. type of story. Uh, so, so I enjoyed that that everyone sort of returned for this and had that same the love that you guys are speaking of for the Lego movie it translates and it continues with this one absolutely because I think too the humor is on point yes. it's 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 a humor that is somewhat lost in today's cinema and and even Chris McKay has said some of his favorite movies were movies like Airplane okay that's mm-hmm. zany slapstick comedy. They don't make zany slapstick comedy, but they can. They're getting away with it in the Lego movies, and particularly this one, because it has that. To have to be slapstick, you can't just be physical. It's it's got to be it's got to be verbal. You know, surely you can't be serious. I'm very serious. Just don't call me Shirley. Stuff like that, and that's all in this Lego Batman movie, where they're. It's almost like the Marx Brothers, or even to an extent, uh, uh, Abbott and Costello. Yeah, it's so. So. It's a kind of humor that isn't latent in today's live action, but they're getting away with doing it uh, in, in, in animated form. And that's what I love. Like the hu- I found myself laughing yeah. my ass off at this movie. It's and just I was surprised at that, funny. honestly. Yeah. It wasn't too absurd either. It wasn't no. too, like, okay, <clears throat> out there. No, not at that. all. Yeah. Well, what, what I appreciate about it most, and um, hopefully, Amelia, you as the... The film theorist, because you're closest to college, so I'm sure they cram this crap <laughs> oh, into yeah. you. The, the idea that you can take a character that we've known for so many years and and basically just reconstruct it in a way we've never seen him. And yeah. the fact that he's a loner, not by choice necessarily, right? Because that's what we've always uh, you know seen him as, unless you count the 1960s Batman, in which he was just an upright citizen. Um <laughs> Then you know it's it's because he is, for lack of a better term, uh, you know a douchebag. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, he is a douchebag. But but it even in the DC universe in the in the comic books, he is a douchebag. Like he is a loner. He doesn't 
There's very few people that he'll ever let in. Um, and he keeps tabs on all of his Justice League mates. I mean, literally keeps tabs on them. He knows every single one of their weaknesses just on the possibility they may go rogue. He's got to know everything about them. He's also a great detective. But he is, in a sense, a douchebag because he says, I, he, there are times he goes, I don't need you, Clark. Like, mm-hmm. I can do this. I can beat you like it's your own game. And that's the thing about Batman. What, what I really liked about this movie is it is a movie that actually approached it in a fresh way of him being the loner. I love that he's watching Jerry Maguire by himself. <laughs> and that's so one of those good. absurd scenes where, oh, you complete me. And he starts laughing, going, you fool. You don't need anybody to complete I don't need anybody to complete me. It's the realization of that loneliness. But thematically, from a Batman history standpoint, a really the, the, the Batman Returns sequel by Tim Burton. Okay, it's a perfect example of of this and him wanting to connect with Selena Kyle, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. There's a great scene in that movie where they show up to a party and they're the only ones wearing masks, and they're the ones that gravitate towards one another. That really goes to showcase Batman's, like in a sense. His standoffishness, his loneliness. Alfred's always saying, you should try to go out. Mm-hmm. The Chris Nolan Dark Knight, he was truly, he set off on himself. Like, purposely, mm-hmm. he said, I'm going to take the hit for this in the Dark Knight. He goes, let me take the hit for this. Harvey Dent, um, he's he, the good guy. He's the good guy. Let me take the hit. And he, that's the way Batman is. To turn it on its heels and bring it to light that he could use a little bit of help. Like, that's what makes this movie fun, and you, it's so easy to well, poke fun at. Well, even so, the, just the whole interjection of, wow, if this has been going on this long, Batman actually <laughs> sucks at his job. That, to me, was the, the freshest <clears throat> idea of it all, and, and, and you're right, you're like, well, yeah, maybe he does suck at his job. Um, I like that. No, I like that mental twist, because <laughs> we really don't see it that way. We always yeah. think Batman is the protagonist, but and then that we actually enjoy having a villain, but we'd never really see the negative side. It's like, oh, maybe you're not doing your job. And I like how they twisted that on him. Like, yeah, you are like, a Wait, what? You're, you're allowing all this to happen. I don't like what you're saying. Incompetence. <laughs> but, and again, Batman doesn't kill. Neither does Superman, too. So that's why all these villains, in one way, shape, or form, they keep on escaping Arkham Asylum, and so Batman has to get on the case and and do whatever. But it was a nice little... Again, if you're going to make fun of a DC character, Batman's the best one. I think because he's very layered as a character. Superman's easy. Yeah, he's a Boy Scout, right? But Batman being that he is so dark and in this movie, just to have him watching Jerry Maguire and eating popcorn in his, he's sitting in his home theater that's huge and he's by himself and he's laughing at you completely. <laughs> that, that, that's hysterical. You had me at hello. <laughs> you know, Phil Ar- uh, Arnett was, was again, his voice, Will Arnett, his voice talent in this was, he well, was they, fantastic. They, they've yeah. said from the get-go that Will is the only one that can sort of match that dark tone without having to modulate him. And the bravado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he does seem to, whether it's Bojack Horseman or um, or um, Joe from Arrested Development, he has that sort of self-importance 
um, that he, that that's like his natural acting default. Right. <laughs> um, but so as we're talking about the jokes, I do want to ask you guys. Uh, you know, how do you sort of draw the line? I, um, Chris McKay has sort of talked about the joke process for them, but the fact that like they were willing to go there, the fact that they made fun of Iron Man, who's similar, rich. And you know, creates the super. You know, Iron Man sucks. That then becomes a password. <laughs> they make fun of Suicide Squad, like yeah. all these things. That they're not afraid to go there. Yeah, um, which takes a lot of, frankly, balls. Mm-hmm. But that's the root of great comedy. Chris McKay is also quoted as saying that part of his theory, his philosophy in going into this, and it was something that I had heard of actually before. I'm a huge fan of the television series that was on forever called Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay. Joel Hodgson and the crew, great. And if you've ever watched the show, it's it's a bunch of people watching a movie and they're making fun of the movie as it goes. It's a B movie. And they're throwing other movie references in there. And, and, And McKay quotes creator Joel Hodgson as saying, we're throwing... 10,000 references into one two-hour show, we understand that maybe only one person is going to get a reference and the joke's going to go over everybody else's head. But if we make that one person fall off his chair laughing, Mm -hmm. job's done. And like this movie, when the Daleks show up in this movie, I'm like, the fuck? The Doctor Who? The Daleks? Like, who? Like, Five, five people, the kids aren't going to know what a Dalek says. Exterminate. I was like, who does that? And what does that have to do with the DC universe? Absolutely nothing. But it's brilliant and it's comedy for a person who's a Doctor Who fan. So, you know, I, I love that atmosphere. It's the same thing with um, the Zucker Brothers. Throw everything up against the wall. Some of it's going to stick. Mm-hmm. And that he uses it to a it's, it's a great effect, and, and I think it's just like it's the demographic as well, um, and like that that type of people who who enjoy Marvel movies, they're probably going to laugh when Marvel characters make jabs at DC characters, <laughs> and it goes back back and forth. It's a two way street, and I think that also adds with you know the Daleks and Doctor Who. I never you know watched Doctor Who. So, like, I didn't get that reference, but I still thought it was funny. And I, I think it's just the same mentality that everyone has. If you like sci-fi comedy, whatever, you're going to laugh at other sci-fi comedy. And I think it's just, it goes back and forth. The other thing that I was surprised that Chris McKay cited as a, as a lack of a better word, like an inspiration. <clears throat> he said he cited, his, he cited his desire to cross the stream, so to speak. And, he, and he's going as far back. He cites the last action hero. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> this was, uh, at the time, probably Arnold Schwarzenegger's first flop. It was a very big-budgeted movie. I know Shane Black um, contributed as far as writing goes. But if you folks aren't familiar, it's 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger played a movie character that this kid loved, like this movie action hero, and he somehow got a magic ticket in which he was able to dive into the action movie that his hero was in. And so it crossed streams, and so he took that, and he's like, that's what I sort of kind of wanted. He goes, I wanted more of that. He goes, I wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to face off against King Kong. 
Like, why not if you're going that far? Because I never saw it in that movie, so I'm able to do it in my movie. Because I'm able to just have Batman go up against King Kong and Godzilla and stuff. But I think that's what makes the this movie... It makes it palatable because then it becomes not just all Batman references. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it becomes, everybody knows who King Kong is and Godzilla. And you know, you might not know the Daleks, but you know who the gremlins are. Mm-hmm. When I saw the gremlins in this <laughs> movie, hysterical. I started cracking up. Yeah. I go, Stripe! Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Voldemort for me. What did you think in terms of the jokes? Like, uh, you know going too far or, or having the brevity to just go for it. No, I think, I mean, they definitely, if you're going to put it all out there, like you said, you got to put it all out there. Yep. Some of them are going to stick, some of them aren't, but it's not like, all of them were funny. There were none of them that were like, oh, okay. It was, even the ones that were less funny are like, okay, that was all right. And then the next one would just really get you. Nothing was poorly executed, well, I don't think. He, you know, um, the, there's a sort of Taoist mentality of like, you know, uh, ha- having the ability to make fun of yourself is the is an, one of the ultimate powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring that up because having Voldemort in the movie, um, J.K. Rowling, you know, they because they, they had to get rights right. to it. And she said, yeah, by all means. But then she started writing spells that Voldemort could do. Yeah, which is awesome. (laughs) So I I appreciate, you know, J.K. having that sort of um, sense of humor to be like, okay, yeah, I'm in. Let me help you write this. Yeah. And that's also Warner Brothers' property as well. So, I mean, that's our already issue. But I'm glad that she has that self-awareness. I mean, she's rich. She's richer than God. So she can do that. But it's not damning. That's the other thing, too. Nothing in this movie was damning to say character like it doesn't it was what their character would do the characters might do we're seeing them in Lego it's not disrespecting the characters you know there's no ill will towards King Kong or or Voldemort or the Daleks it's just really funny now what I find even funnier is like he had a bunch of other villains that he wanted to throw into the movies Mm -hmm. and this killed me he wanted to have Kathy Bates from Misery which is hysterical. <laughs> he wanted to have Moriarty at one point. He even pitched Daniel Day Lewis's uh, uh, Bill the Butcher from Gangs of New York. I mean, he wanted to have David Carradine from Kill Bill. I mean, that's going for it. Nice. But I, I, I just think I love that thought process. Yeah. And even if you're a Mel Brooks fan, again, you know, without people like. You know Mel Brooks, who who really brought satire to light with Blazing Saddles, High Anxieties, making poking fun at things. That's how you get the Zucker Brothers. That's how you get Airplane. That's how you get Naked Gun, right? And these are slapstick comedy that you have to watch and listen to in order to to appreciate what's going on. This movie, you're willingly paying attention because the jokes can come so fast. They're not expecting you to get everything. But what you're going to get is going to really make you laugh out loud. Yeah. You're going to get at right. least one joke. At, le- at least. <laughs> hopefully thing. more. Well, here's the, yes. you know, I know we're spending a lot of time on the humor side of it, but yeah, the, the, <clears throat> the real trick of it to me, and I think that's something that's underappreciated, is um, in order to pull something off like that, you have to be a, a, a master at storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because the real root of it for me is what it's always been, the strength of Batman and, uh, and the Joker done in a completely different way and and basically a rom-com yeah that's the structure right of the movie and then everything else builds on top of that but if you don't get that right and you don't have a mastery of rom-coms then all this that we're talking about falls apart yeah and they're doing it in a 
they're doing it in a brilliant way because there are comics, uh, I believe in the Chris Nolan, uh, Dark Knight. Like, the Joker's like, you need me. Well, like, the little line yeah. says, yeah. I complete you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in a sense, yes, that's what the whole thing of an arch nemesis is. The but, Joker's a classic example of that. Right, but I like, I, going off of your point, Phil, I like the twist on the conventional rom-com. Right. It's, it's more of a, a bromance. And, you know, not in, like in a gay way, not that being gay is bad, but, like, they paired these two together. It's like, they have to be together for in order Marissa, to start to work. Me. What? So you hate me. I hate you. <laughs> oh, I hate you, too. See, exactly. You know, it, it works, because I, I think it's funny, because it was more built up as a fun bromance. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's hysterical, too, that the Joker gets all depressed when he says, I don't need you. He goes, what do you mean? Yeah. You He's need like, me? oh, I'm no, I around. <laughs> I don't need you. <laughs> I mean, it's... Bromance. Again, it's throwing that stuff of, you know... It's throwing that stuff up in the wall, seeing what sticks. And even the stuff that doesn't stick, you're going to throw it in there anyways. Uh, but you'll, you've already surrounded it by witty humor. That again, <clears throat> this is where it transcends. Kids are going to laugh at a ton of stuff. They're going to appreciate the visuals. Which, by the way, is we'll talk about the visuals. Mm-hmm. This movie was great to look at. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. It was great to look at, right? From, from a color standpoint, it was great to look at. Kids are going to get some of the jokes. Adults might get probably a little bit more, but you never know. The kids are going to get something that mom and dad aren't watching on TV or stuff like that. Right. The audience I saw it with, the kids were cracking up like from beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, the hardest part <clears throat> is to, to go back and, and say which jokes are your favorite because, you know, inevitably, as you're like holding on to one joke that you're like, oh, my God, that was so funny, you're going to lose it within a matter of a minute because mm-hmm. the next one's coming. Uh, right. Which says a lot about the movie. Yeah, it needs to be quick like that, though. I think otherwise it wouldn't work. So, um, let's see. Let's let's talk about um, let's talk about the the relationship between Batman and Robin because it was uh, again something that's very different. We've never seen it in the sense that he he accidentally adopts him, right? Yeah, <laughs> and has no interest whatsoever in in raising him except for the fact that he's small and he needs him. I, mm-hmm. I like the, the, the way that they established it because, again, it was uh, unconventional in how we know of the DC, or, you know, Batman canon. The fact that, like, he was kind of forced to be with, with Robin and already, like, um, didn't think the greatest of him, already cut him short. Mm-hmm. And um, and that the fact that, that after this vision, he's like, oh, no, Robin's actually pretty cool. I can use him. I liked that, and that built a more genuine relationship between Batman and Robin. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, going off that, number one, I didn't realize it was Dick Grayson until he said his name because they were using Frank Miller's, from the Dark Knight Returns Robin, uh, which was the first female Robin. Carrie. Carrie, and had the the goggles and everything, and even, to an extent, the blonde Mm hair-ish. So, uh, number one, let's, Michael Cera's best role since Superbad, Okay. (laughs) I, I'm just—he was great. He yeah. was his voice talent in this movie was hysterical. Uh, yeah, and it sort of turns the heels on the relationship that Batman has with Dick Grayson because it was always contentious. And I loved how they even brought in Nightwing again. As a Batman fan, like Dick Grayson's biggest gripe with Batman was that he wouldn't let him in. He's like, 
dude, you gotta let me spread my wings a little bit. And he's like, no, not gonna happen. You're always gonna listen to me. And so that's Dick Grayson. That was a big deal. He he leaves Gotham to go to Bloodhaven, which is in this movie, and he becomes yeah. Nightwing. <clears throat> and then he even comes back uh, when Batman was supposedly dead, and he picks up the mantle of Batman for a little bit. But their relationship that Dick Grayson and and Bruce Wayne have totally goes back to that. I'm a loner. You're gonna listen to me. You I'm, that that's it. It's like I rule. This isn't your typical award. It's not what we saw in the '60s show either. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But with the same references. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. There, there are so many ways they could have tied Robin in, and the fact that he's his adopted child that he doesn't find in his bat cave for a week. I think it's genius. <laughs> it's hilarious. Very well executed. Yes. And, yeah. And I just love the notion that uh, he thought he had two dads. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him. His uh, padre. His yeah. <laughs> padre. Um, and in a weird way, what, what I love about this, right, it is that dual uh, commentary of they're commenting on sort of the DC universe, but at the same time sort of setting it up because we are getting a Justice League movie. And so, even though we haven't seen it yet, to get the flip side of that and that everyone just hates Batman, mm-hmm. and um, this is where having so many different characters works for it, because it's like, here's all the people that I've, half of them I've never even heard of, but the fact that they got invited to this, they must really hate Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, there were also, like, that soup, that, it wasn't just the Justice League. They were referencing the Super Friends from the 70s. I mean, we saw Zan and Jaina. For crying out loud, like the Wonder Twins. <laughs> yeah. It was just like to see Sid and Jaina get invited. But again, if you're a Batman fan, it makes sense. Batman is a dick. And like, he, he is, like literally, he has tabs on all these people. He has files on them. And he's like, I have to be prepared. And so the mere fact that he shows up and they're like, what are you, what, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, you having a party? Uh, yeah, of course you were invited. That was a great scene. And then he goes off on his own again. Yeah. <laughs> he can't even be part of the, like, he can't even be part of something that's fun. Well, uh, yeah, he, he <clears throat> couldn't join in. And I, 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 just the whole notion that he's like, I have, hold on, I have to excuse myself. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's his way of doing it. He, he, just his social interaction is so messed up. Um, yeah, it had a good it had a good core of you know as I said that rom com, but then that family aspect, right? Um, you know, and they played really nicely into recreating that family portrait, which was the sentiment of it all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and you guys want to talk about Barbara? Yes. Sure, Barbara Gordon. Um, I don't know. I'm not familiar with Barbara Gordon that much, to be honest. She's not in any. Yeah. Of the... Sure, she is. She she. Barbara Gordon, daughter of Chief Commissioner. Well, I, I know Gordon, who she but is, but the, the, the movie versions, I've not seen her that much. She's only been in, uh, could have been the, she ends up being Batgirl. Yes. And then she ends up being But not in the Batman Bar- and Robin version, right? She is Barbara Gordon. Yeah. In the Batman, uh, you, I, you're talking about the 60s? No, uh, I'm talking show? about Batman and Robin. She the ends Schumacher. up being now. She, she ends up being the niece to Alfred or yeah, something so, see, dopey. So I'm not even sure if they even she's went. A very obscure character. Yeah, um, Barbara Gordon, even since the '60s, 
<clears throat> was always part of the Batman canon. And then she went off to do uh, Birds of Prey, mm-hmm. but she became paralyzed by the Joker. So, so she's always been there. The Chris Nolan, Chris Nolan, he just wanted, he really wanted to focus on Batman. We only, in the last movie, did we get the hint um, that Robin, who was um, the walk guy, uh, Joseph Joseph Gordon-Levitt, could potentially be Robin going forward if Chris Nolan were to do it, but he wanted to make Batman singular. So they tried to do it in the Joel Schumacher. Tim Burton avoided it, uh, having, like, Barbara Gordon and, and even Dick Grayson in it. Um, and again, it just goes back to the singularity of the character. But Barbara Gordon, through the comics and even the, the 60s show, that's why it was great because when Barbara Gordon takes off her thing, it, she, she's got the purple, she's got the purple suit that Yvonne Craig wore in the 60s show. I only wish that she drove a motorcycle. It would have been awesome. Well, it was funny because you like, I'm going to call you Batgirl. <clears throat> well, I'm going to call you Batboy. Bat- no. <laughs> um, Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. Yeah. I love her. She's great. <laughs> she was great. Got the joke. It was um, awesome. Let me see, you know, since you kind of, I, I haven't seen it. I don't know much about it. But um, but the platonic, non-platonic relationship between Barbara Gordon and Batman. And from what I understand, is it the uh, Batman the Killing Joke, the latest movie or whatever it is? Have you seen yeah, that? It's, it's you know an animated. Work? Yeah, it, that's an animated um, based off of the comic. They took a lot of liberties, and that's what people are complaining about. Um, in, in particular, the barber. Like, you know what? You know where I'm going with this. I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody else know? I haven't watched The Killing Joke, so no. Okay. I, I well, apparently there's a scene between Barbara Gordon and Batman. It's somewhat graphic. I don't know. Have you seen it directly? I have not. Yeah, I have seen it directly. It, it, the movie is it's it's rated R. It's a rated R animated movie, and there's stuff in there that's not. Yeah, it's it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what a lot of people sort of kind of complained about because it's not in the comic. It's not in the graphic novel at all. Um, why they decided to put it in this, I have no idea. And can we call it a sex scene? It's sure. A sex scene. Yeah. Okay. Sex scene. Sure. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it directly, uh-huh. so yeah. but it's just, right. it's it's implied very much so. Uh-huh. Okay. And and that's the thing too. Again, Batman being Batman, he knows who Batgirl is. Like he he knows. It's not not even a question. Um, Batman's relationships are. Like from what I can recall, I don't ever recall there being one with Barbara Gordon that I can remember. It's always been Selena Kyle, some um, Kim Basinger's character in in Batman, the Tim Burton one. I forget her name right now. They've been like female reporters. They could be ballerinas, but it, it was and 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 to a point like the Troika. We got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. At one point. He and Wonder Woman would be a thing mm-hmm. other than Superman Wonder Woman. But you know, I don't I don't ever recall. Someone with much more comic knowledge than me could maybe bring up if there was ever a relationship between Barbara and Bats. Mm-hmm. Well the thing that I liked, because <clears throat> I'm not from really familiar with Barbara Gordon character either, but what I liked uh, how they portrayed her, because it you know, is 
the voice of um, Rosario Dawson and the fact that she's ethnically amb- ambiguous in real life, like that kind of translated to the character yeah. in the movie. And the creators, you know, Chris McKay, they, they thought about that because they, they took the, the general demographics of what would be Arkham and Gotham. It was like, good chances she could be someone who's not Caucasian. And I like mm-hmm. how that translated to this character. And, yeah. and it wasn't like really, you know, hit on the head with a nail. Like she's not Caucasian, you know. It was nope. just, it was just another character that it was new to us, and I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and going back to what you said at the beginning about how you know this movie translated well to men and women, I think she was such a vital part of that, and just, you know, having her be as capable as Batman and having her, you know, kind of be the, you know, For- counteracting him was I, I loved that. Also. I think it's a natural male-female relationship. Guys are just so bullheaded. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know it's you know very speak for binary. yourself. I know it's a very binary <laughs> way of looking at it, but but I'm you know I'm kind of glad that it was Barbara Gordon and not Catwoman because we've had so many versions and iterations of Catwoman now that like the fact that we shine a little bit more light on Barbara as a foil to Bruce Wayne Batman is kind of nice to have a different female. Not really antagonist, but just a companion to mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Who doesn't have to rely? That, that's the other thing, too. If we're going to dig a little bit deeper, <clears throat> we always talk about uh, female characters. And one of their measurements of how strong the character is is do they need to be constantly saved? I mean, they have a female character saved once in a movie, something, but they have to be self reliant, self resilient. And the way that they portrayed Barbara Gordon in here is that she was self-reliant. She was self-resilient. She could, you know, she was trying to get, like, I know I can need help, but I know I can handle my own. It's you have to realize that you yeah. need help. Yeah, she was the one that critiqued yeah. Batman in the beginning, yeah. which and, is important. Yeah, I think so. I think, so. you know, if you want to get into a more adult theme in the Lego Batman movie, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> Also great for kids to see, too, I think. I, think this, I agree. This really strong female character. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Agreed, agreed. Um, should we talk about the gadgets? Another great staple of, of any <laughs> Batman movie. We got it all in this one. We got the helicopters, the motorcycles, the, 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 the planes, the, the cars, everything. I, I did enjoy that one moment, and I talking about the self-awareness humor when he's going through the security <laughs> the security system and they're like please you know give away all, like whatever you're armed with and it's like just a pile of all of his weapons that everyone could enjoy I thought that was pretty funny I liked how they it, it appeared as if they had any, every iteration of Batman transportation whether it be the bat boat, the bat copter, the bat plane the bat mobiles uh, yet at the same time Let's go back to the, you know, one of the classic things about the 60s show is Batman and Robin hopping into the Batmobile, going atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed, and then the Batmobile launches itself out of the Batcave. When they were doing it in this movie, I'm like, that is so great that they're doing it here. But it even looked like they had a Joel Schumacher Batmobile, and those are the most cartoonish in the live-action movies. But, yeah, if you followed... Any of even the, the the old cane finger comic books and his bat copter the way it was even the bat copter in the sixties they yeah. had and he had the bat boat yeah the gadget it was just a ton of fun yeah. but it, it, the reference to the shark repellent <laughs> was great that was you know I mean 
that is a classic scene in the 60s Batman movie. But it's not a real shark in the movie. That's what you have to realize. (laughs) But it was great. It's a great scene. That's why I say shark repellent and boat ladder. But like uh, even yeah, that that one weapon had a joke. Like it, yeah. They set it up. They're like, this is completely useless. And then it actually had a purpose at the end. So <laughs> like, uh, I liked how it came full circle just for one weapon. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, shall we transition into the more the visuals of everything? Because I know we'll, the, the, well, the movie like this is about to be more technical than, than story-based. Mm-hmm. Unless there's mm-hmm. anything that you guys story-wise want to touch on. No, I think thematically, you know, thematically, I think it it it, it hits from a male female perspective. Uh, you know, when you're talking about the visual style of this movie, the one thing that I noticed, and again, I saw this in a premium large format. I did see it in an XD. I think it was beautiful to look at between the colors. Um, nothing was ever really hidden. Um, whether I was in the Phantom Zone or whether I'm back on Earth uh, doing the big fight scenes. Chris McKay, I like what he says. We're still trying to make it feel like the brick film and like the old Rankin-Bass stuff. Rankin-Bass being, those are the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas specials that we grew up. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, it sort of kind of does have that. There's a tangibility-ness of it, but the way the characters move is like, they can't, yeah, they have to be... They're not bendable. Based in right. Right. exactly, they, they, they can't go into three D space. Right. You know, they can't break <clears throat> that Z space. Yeah, um, which I enjoy. Now, yeah, I mean, what what I enjoyed about this, and this goes both to the visuals as well as, um, you know, I guess the story ultimately, because they're playing with tropes and whatever, they're able to move at such a lightning pace, and the amount of set pieces that we're able to see. Is fantastic and and they use they they use action in the right way. But then there's moments of um, I don't know if levity is the right word, but you know he's 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 heating up the lobster <laughs> and just the way that's lit and he's standing there and it's going around and around and just the fact that we can appreciate that for the amount of seconds that we do, um, you know they they use both techniques extremely well for jokes. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. I appreciated how they used, I guess, as many Lego pieces as they possibly could for even things that very well could be graphics, like the fire in any of the fight scenes. You know, if you look quickly, you think it's animated, but then you look closely, and it's actually one of the Lego fire pieces. Yeah. (laughs) And and yeah, the cool thing about the you know this particular film, they actually have a digital library of every type of Lego brick that has ever been created in by the actual company, and um, they use that as elements for this movie. And the cool thing is, and I also read that they, you know, another film that reminds me of it, but this film they built in in the animation form off of volumetrics, which when we covered Pixels, right, um, that movie with Adam Sandler, a lot of the graphics were from volumetrics styles. And when I was watching this, it it reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely couldn't notice the volumetrics. And the blocks built upon other blocks to create that Z space that Legos can't in real life. Right. And, you know, the other great thing about, too, that, that Lego has done <clears throat> throughout the years, even before there were movies, there were Lego video games. 
There was a Harry Potter game. Mm-hmm. There was, there is a Batman. I think there were a couple of Batman Legos. Um, Have you ever played the Legos? Oh my God, they're great. They're fun. Yeah, it's awesome. They're really I'm great. Not a gamer, but they're fun. They are. They're, they're a lot of fun. But what's the 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 interesting thing? The transition from from video game to big screen is what makes the Lego video games fun and has their charm is that the characters really don't speak. Because we know that they're painted eyes and faces on the little brick thing. They would just make sounds. They'd go, hmm, her. Like if somebody broke up or, you know, like, yeah, somebody breaks, they broke in pieces and their pieces would bounce down the stairs. Yeah. And they would just make little sounds. Almost like R2. Like Lego Star Wars is hysterical. Um, they're not talking. Once you bring it up to the big screen, like in the Lego movie and this movie... They had to talk, and I think they found the perfect voice talent to do it, and I don't question, so even if I go back to play a video game, I like the fact that they don't talk, because that's part of the charm, and, it, and that's where the comedy comes out. Here, you got to up the ante, because you're not playing this video game, and I think it's a perfect transition. So when they do another Lego Batman Lego game, video game, they don't have to go back, they don't have to get Will Arnett, they could just go back to their tried and true formula because it always works and like the movies thus far the video games had always gotten really good reviews mm-hmm. yeah so and the cool thing that you mentioned because like the <clears throat> video games don't really speak but obviously this movie all the characters do and it's hard with the facial expressions when they don't break the the third you know z space there um but what was interesting for all these characters the the mini legos that they actually had put decals on them and they used <laughs> that as a template to render with the actual animation to get the faces yeah so for every facial expression that originally started off an actual tiny decal that they put on the lego size and then they rendered over that with animation to get the the mouth movement, That's the facial awesome. expression. Crazy. So that is a labor of love in and of yeah. itself. I know the patience it must take to do something like this is yeah. crazy, and the fact that they didn't even finish animating it until January, late December. Is that, I think that's what I read. It's yeah. Well, they were supposed to have a little more time. Yeah. The movie was supposed to come out in May, and you know, Chris McKay was like, "Yeah, he goes, we were supposed to have three or four more months." He goes, "I wanted a couple of things in there, and we had to clean up a few things and." You know, it would have been interesting, but I think I get it. He would want some more time. That would have been fantastic. I think the release date that they had filled a vacuum because there really hasn't been like a really solid kids movie out there. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers knew what they had. I mean, I'm sure that they were watching this movie come along. Um, so they knew that they had a fun movie that would probably do well. And this is the perfect, you know, when you when you think about what's out there. We have action movies out there. We have a psychological suspense thriller horror movie that's Definitely doing well. Definitely for the kids. Yeah. And we've got Fifty Shades Darker. What's it called? Also Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah, Fifty Shades Darker, okay. Yes. That's out there. There's nothing really... Yeah. Oh, and we're also getting into um, Long Weekend. Uh, I know at least in New England... Uh, for people who were brought up there, February vacations coming mm-hmm. for some aspects of the country. So it's a great time to release a popular good kids movie, you know. So I sort of applaud because if they released in May, yeah, I think it would be too much. And then the last one came up in February as well. Yeah. Um, not that you have to stick to that, but no. But I think part of the reason they released it in February is because I don't think at that time they knew exactly what they had. 
Like, Warner Brothers knows that they have a good movie, but they may not know whether the audience believes it's a good movie. And then it's so you release it in a time period where well, we're not Nothing's sure that too it's too big. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's not much coming. We don't think it's a summer. We don't know if it's a summer movie yet. Because you'll notice that happens a lot sometimes with movies is that they release it in a slow period. And then once it becomes uh, Hunger Games, I think is a good example, mm-hmm. which I believe first came out. The first one came out, I believe, in March. It came March. out in March. And yeah. then, then the subsequent ones came out during a very like popular November. holiday time period. Because yeah. they didn't really know how, what we were going to get. Sometimes I just say, mm. if that's when you release the first one. You'll have success, and people really like it. Just try to release it around that same time, too. So. I think it's also good timing, for, especially for this film, because at this point <clears throat> last year, it was all Batman versus Superman. And, yeah. and that came out in like March of 2016. So it's around the same year, or like the same time of the year, just one year later. Yeah. And yeah, I and think that's else... a good pump out, you know, a one year turnaround. Yeah, and it fits right in there, as I said, between Justice League, we're getting Wonder Woman, um, we just had Suicide Squad. Although I did not just, but you know that's coming out on on demand now and stuff. So I think it was the right time. And furthermore, like I, I appreciate the fact that they actually, you know, because um, we talked about X Men Apocalypse. You know, it, it got a couple months switched and, and it didn't have that time. Imagine. So I'm glad that they like to have this product. That you know they they worked amazingly fast. Mm-hmm. They really did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and they started shortly after Lego Movie. I mean, more time needs to be put in for an animated movie just because of all the detail, like you were saying, to put in that detail. And they started shortly thereafter. And I forget what happened to the other director. He went off... Oh, Phil Lord and... and, um, Yeah. uh, They stayed on as executive producers, but, I mean, they're, they're so in demand... Um, yeah, they're doing like a live action. It's uh, Chris Miller and, and Phil Lord. Um, yeah, they're they're busy in the live action aspect. But the the great thing about this film is that the script was already pretty much set already three years ago. So they sure. essentially had three years to work on this film after Lego Batman because like three years ago they already had treatments for this film. So yeah. that I think they had more just production time to work on it. Yeah, and rather let's than face rewrites it. over and over again, you know. Yeah. Compared to what DC and what Warner Brothers has for their live-action superhero stuff, this is their best superhero movie that they've come Absolutely. out since since Chris Nolan exited the Dark Knight, Dark Knight series. Yeah. Since yeah. then, they need to make everything Lego now. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they they should. I'd yeah, scrap. I want to see everything I, in Lego. Yeah, I'd make Aquaman Lego. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, real. I mean, uh, going back to Phil Lord and, and um, yeah, Chris they're doing Miller. something huge. The uh, the Han Solo movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're directing that. Yeah, kind of somewhat big. Legit <laughs> could projects, be. You know. <laughs> Pretty big property. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and they're both only forty-one. By the way, that's God insane. bless them. Good for them. That's that's definitely insane. And yeah, you know, I mean, just their history alone. Uh, we we've talked about our love for Jump Street. Sure, they were part of that. They're the good writers. Um. So definitely, definitely a lot there already for them. Yeah, and also, if we're still talking about the VFX and production also, the, the great thing that they learned from Lego movie, usually when the sequels you can already build on, like, okay, what can make us go faster so we can pump out another one? Um, they used uh, a program called Frankenglips, which is pretty much a, um, a program that helped them render faster, um, uh, all their effects. Uh, it was, I'm not going to get tried to get too 
um, technical with you, but it helped them render with uh, all the shapes and the lightings faster in real time um, compared to the Legos. Right. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. love to still like compare because remember there was that big article that came out with Toy Story three that it took them seven hours to render one frame, and I would love to know like like you know pound for pound what it compares to now. Like how much faster are we? But at the same time, we throw in so much into the animation that, like, you know, it still probably takes the same amount just because, you, it, you know, now could. we're going so much deeper <clears throat> with it. We sort of talked about a little bit about that when we did Zootopia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talked about them rendering every single leaf on every single tree. You know, now, like, what what has happened, as it always happens in, our, in, in the movie business, okay, is that... You see where we come from Toy Story. You, actually, you see where Pixar has come from Toy Story, from the first one. Toy Story was just game-changing. And when you look at trailers for the new Cars 3 that, that'll be coming out, like they've come like leaps and bounds. We're, we're, we're adapting and changing and making and creating new technologies because... As where the original Toy Story, its charm relies in its story. And when it first hit theaters, it was groundbreaking. We had never seen anything like that before. Okay, Much like, to Beauty and the Beast, the animated, right? When, mm-hmm. when, when, when Disney was re-coming back, coming back into doing animated. So then every other movie, though, they want to make it look better than the previous movie. So when you have... It, but, but that's just... That's just the way the industry is, whether you're live action or whether you're animated. You're, you're trying to utilize technology to make your movie look better. Mm-hmm. James Cameron, you know, is a perfect example of that as well. Create new technologies. Let's show something that we've never done before. Let's push the envelope. And then once that movie comes out, somebody else is going to glom onto the technology that he created and put it into their own movie. And so it's always upping the ante. Um, we're always the, the industry is always striving, I believe, especially when these types of movies. You can't compete if your movie looks like a VHS animated computer animated movie, but it ain't gonna compete in this. It, not in today's world of animation. People will suss it out as it being cheap, and they won't go. And there have been a couple of animated movies within the past, let's say, year that have looked cheap and they just they're DOA Mm -hmm. so you have to stay you have to stay current Um, the people who do like um, Coraline and Kubo Leica Leica. they're another company that that, that always pushes the envelope they never rest in their laurels and they always make their movies look fresh new exciting and bigger and cleaner and nicer we're always it's the same thing with video games we want more detail well, here's the interesting part. We're watching technology from two years ago on yeah. screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not the latest technology. It's technology from two years ago. But even that and technology that's what, changes. Like, but it's, that's yeah. what advanced but. in this film when they used the Franklin's. That was literally mm-hmm. a hybrid solution from the two programs that they used on Lego. This program allowed, like, put those two programs or together to make the rendering time twice as fast. And part of it is, is because we as an audience... Uh, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. We want more detail. You know, we want more. If you're playing, you're not playing Pong as a video game. I mean, you're doing it out of nostalgia. The same thing with, you know, you're not playing regular Mario Brothers. You do it because of nostalgia. 
but you want more today. Today, and it's all about, I want more detail in my animated movies. How much, you know, we're going to make this look beautiful. We're going to render this. That's why when you get movies like Zootopia, like, it's a gorgeous movie, you know, to watch. Moana, too, you know, uh, song-wise aside, but it was a beautifully rendered movie. Same thing with Frozen. Say, say, say what you will. But when you look at Frozen compared to um, Princess and the Frog, which, again, a beautiful, a beautifully drawn movie, like, audiences are becoming more discerning as to how they're going to spend their money, and they don't want it to look too big. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like the fact that you brought up Zootopia because I believe it was that movie that also used more advanced technology from Big Hero 6. Right. With the lighting and stuff. And because they had so many different animals with so many different leaves and forests, mm-hmm. let alone the animal fur, they had to yeah. speed up their rendering time and they used a more advanced program that they used from Big Hero 6. Yeah. And think about what we're doing here. But we're that was because to, people wanted detail. We want more detail. So how do we do it faster if people want more detail? Yeah, I find it funny that we're looking at animated. We want animation to look more like real life. Well, then why is it animated? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's sort of like the Catch-22. I mean, but I can still watch a movie like Snow White or the original Cinderella or Dumbo. Granted, I'm talking about a lot of these Disneys, but these are the ones that were in the theaters. They're beautifully drawn, even to today's standards. When you see what Disney did with The Little Mermaid, that was their movie that actually brought them back into the animation scene. It's still a beautifully rendered, drawn movie. There is something to be said, and that's what John Lasseter set out to do when he became their head of animation. It's like, I want to be able to hybrid. I want to do hand-drawn. I want to use computer graphics. With Batman and the Lego movies, we're not talking about having to put in fur, you know? Right. It's part of the joke that they're sort of blocky. And let's pay attention to that. They're supposed to be. Yeah, we don't want them to break that wall, so to speak. We don't want him, like, walking like a human. Well, you know, we want even the cape to be sort of stiff. (laughs) So, you know. Anything to add, Amelia? Yeah, no, I mean, when you're looking at Frozen or uh, Moana or something, you know, there's something to be left up to the imagination with the animation. But with Legos, you know, you're working with something that's a real-life figure, and you have to make that as beautiful as possible and as realistic as possible to a certain degree. And, you know, what would this look like if this was actually happening in real life, which is the movie, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Animal Logic did a great job, though, because they also mm-hmm. worked on the first Lego movie, and they came back for this one. Everybody's coming back. Yep. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, it's always tough to talk about editing in, in terms of a movie like this. Although, it, 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 they have three editors, which is always interesting to me, because at the end of the day, how does it like fully work? You know what I mean? That's... Because I, I, I really... Personally, I want to be lucky enough to edit an animated movie... Just to see what the process fully looks like, because you know, even all the editing classes that I have taken, no one's really explained that process to me of how it works. I know at the end of the day it has to be put together, but I imagine that the job is much different than it is to edit a live action movie with takes and cuts and right. Yeah, I really like the pacing of this film. And yes, it is a fairly sh- shorter film, but not once did it lose my attention. And I think it's also because there were so many graphics. There was not, it never was boring. You know, there was just so many things to look at, joke after joke after joke. The pacing and energy was like consistent throughout this film. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, 
<clears throat> I forget what the length of the runtime is. It might have been able. They, they might have been able to make it. An hour forty-five. Hour forty-four yeah. minutes. No, an hour and four minutes. Ah, Marissa and her numbers. I don't know. <laughs> Copy and paste. <laughs> Copy and so paste. one out. No, it had to be one and four minutes. One hundred and four minutes. Okay. Yeah, well, it was like an hour and four minutes. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> nah. So yeah, and going back to your point about editing. Yeah, but that's <clears throat> an hour and forty-four minutes. Thank you. Is it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I suck at math. That's why I was a communication major. I suck major. at math, but <laughs> that's job. an hour and forty-four minutes. Thank you. So um, <laughs> I was right. I guess when you're doing an animated movie, even for the hand-drawn, you're already, in a sense, number one, you don't have to fully render. You don't have to fully render your shot. You can use stick figures. Okay, do I want this shot to be from over the shoulder? How am I going to blend in? Like, what do I want to compose? Like, what? how do I want this? How do we pre-visualize this? How do we draw this? You know, you can do it as storyboards, and you're already figuring... Like, the editing process, to me... And, and I could be completely wrong. If there's an, an an animation editor out there, please write into the show. Because to me, it would just seem a logical step that it's already built into when you're animating. Like, unlike a movie where you're shooting things and you're like going, well, you know what? I want this take and put it in there. The only thing that you can do is like you can edit and, and change the takes of the dialogue. Yeah. The scene itself isn't going to change. But the way Arnett delivers a line can change. Because it's animated. The, the mouth's just moving anyways. Yeah. I'm not looking for sinking issues here. So the sound editing to me becomes a little bit more important. Because for editing, i got to figure that they're already, in a sense, they already know the shots and the sequences and what they're going to want. And then it's all on top of how are we going to layer in the music? How are we going to layer in the sound to the Batmobile? Um do all that stuff. So well, you can also, so, you know, to, to that point, you get to see if jokes are working or not. You know, you can start to see it. Um, and what I appreciate about this movie is that for the entirety of the runtime that we're talking about, uh, it, you know, how, how, how often just it, it takes advantage of everything. It, down to we, we all all these credits we always see at the beginning with the with the logos of every um, company and it takes about a minute most times and it's like okay let's just get this out of the way but here we take advantage of that and like oh cool logos yeah don't you like the logos yeah they're cool yeah. huh yeah. look it's Warner Bros all yeah all important movies start with black yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know who these Rat Pack people are but. Yeah. They have a cool logo. Like, yeah, I mean, that stuff was, again, self-aware, but it was funny. The other thing that you always notice about animated movies, and this, to me, because my patience, like, if I'm hearing voices and I don't exactly, I can't put a face to the voice, Mm -hmm. so I wait for the credits, but the voices are some of the last people that come up in the credits. (laughs) You always have to wait, like, in a regular movie, the cast is one of, you know, you know who's in the movie within the first 10 minutes, usually. Yeah, because the credits are actually on screen They're for on you screen. to know. Right. <laughs> on an animated movie, all the, a lot of those credits, most of those credits come at the very end. And if you're seeing who the voice talent is, you got to wait for the producers, the writers, the animators. And then, oh, yeah, these are the people that voice them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Zach Galifianakis. He was great. Joker. He, was he was awesome. He was awesome. Um, indeed, indeed. Um, anything to add about that? 
about, about Zach or <laughs> well, I guess you could add a lot about Zach. I mean, he plays the Joker. Well, well, I like the fact, you know, you're doing the research that uh, we know, because we've covered a lot of films here that deal with, you know, animation and voice actors, that a lot of times the voice actors are recorded by themselves in a booth. But a lot of, t- for most of this film, the, char- the actors were together with yes. each other paired. So they had, like, real-time joking back and forth, and a lot of it was improvised. Yeah. And, I mean, if you have Michael Sarah and, you know, Will Arnett and Zach Galifianakis, all these comedians together in a room, like, Lord knows how many yeah, jokes were actually storm. recorded and dropped. Dropped, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I can't imagine. And I, I liked it because you, you definitely got that real-time back-and-forth banter. Yeah. yeah. I think more movies should sort of aim for that. And I know it's easier to, to do it. Um, you know, you, you can schedule, you know, more people that way because then you're not depending on, like, oh, what's your schedule and your schedule. I'm just depending on your schedule individually and versus hers. Um, but, yeah, you're right, Marissa. It does come off on screen as much more organic and yeah. fluid. Absolutely. What were some of your um, favorite scenes in this movie? This is uh, the hardest <clears throat> task I ever. Uh, my favorite scene was um, it, it was Batman early on, you know, because like for example, when he's um, when he's following the Joker and he doesn't really know what the Joker's really doing, uh, and it's so much he, he feels something's off, but he's playing directly into the hands of the Joker. Right. That to me was a lot of fun. And then I guess the the uh, characters at the end. It's just a, you know, it's a hodgepodge of, any, throw in anything. Right. Um, we have, Sar- I love Sauron. Sauron. Sauron the guy. Because, yes. you know, he's, he's such a all bad, but like, you know, in, in this context, we can finally make fun of, it's a yeah. stupid eye. Yeah. <laughs> that actually has a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> it can do stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There's so many moments that it's, it's really hard to pinpoint one. But I did love the whole concept of the Phantom Zone. That they mm-hmm. actually used that. That is part of the DC universe, and uh, I liked how they used it in a comedic way. Like all the bad villains are here from all different <laughs> stories. Like this is the place. This is essentially their hell slash, you know, but, purgatory. They're they're all stuck here, and they use that. Like the fact that they can go in yeah. and go out, and they're like, let's the get everybody lady. back in. But you know? was I the only one who was looking for Zod? Yeah, I mean, when I was like, like no, I thought, Zod? I thought Zod was going to be coming back. Now Zod is a throwback to uh, the Superman Super. movie with with Christopher Reeves. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to go through one of my. This would be one of the funniest parts. Talk about self aware is when uh, they're 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 dinging on Batman's age and his incarnations. But I love the way when Alfred's like, "Sir, I've seen you go through similar phases in 2016, <laughs> 2012, 2018," and then they're cutting to in Lego in yeah, Lego form. Fun. Scenes from the movie. So we've got 2012, 2008, 2005, 1997, 1995, and 1992, and 1989. And that would win in 1966. And that's the one that they actually used live footage, and he's doing the, the Bat 2C. <laughs> I was like just cracking up at that. It was just, it's just, it's, it was so self aware, but so wacky and smart. Well, I love his run. Yeah, they aged really well, huh? 
Yeah. What was your favorite <laughs> moment? Has. I think I got to go with when they first started characterizing him, when he goes back to his Batcave alone, <laughs> throws the lobster Thermidor in the, in the microwave. What the hell is a lobster Thermidor? I don't even know you can microwave that. but You can't. I don't even know what that is. There is lobster Thermidor, yeah. That there is such a thing, and I just love how he's sitting on his boat alone. Yeah, I think, yeah. I did. I did love it, and I have to call myself. I feel like I am a big fan of romance um, comedies. You know, rom coms. A big fan of them, and the fact that when they were making fun of all the romance, especially <laughs> Serendipity, which is actually one of my Shit. favorite movies, and like I laughed so hard at that joke, even though like I love that film, and the fact that they're laughing at it made me laugh. Yeah, it was hysterical. I mean, some of the quotes. Robin, my name is Dick. My name is Richard Grayson. The other kids call me Dick. <laughs> 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 like really? <laughs> because like kids are awful these days. Oh, they can be. Kids are. Yeah, why did you build this thing with one, only one seat? Because last time I checked, I only had one butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, that's just going back to uh, let's just be silly. Yeah. Yeah, but even like the climactic scene at the end, where like the town is literally splitting in two, and then they're like, "Let's band together and put right, it back together," pull- and then the way it just literally fit into it cl- clicks it back clicks. together in such the Lego yeah. form. It was never out of character. I loved it. And um, you know, this is more of a sound effect thing, but I I just lo- like the shooting aspect of it, where there's pew 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 pew. Like that's how a kid would do it. Pew pew pew. Uh, so the, you know, just just that all aspects awesome of it, uh, you know, all, all these things are marrying into one to create this final, final piece, mm-hmm. yeah. if you will. Best uh, friends <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, although the one thing that didn't happen in this movie that that happened in the they didn't have quite the song like uh, everything is awesome. I was a little disappointed. Um, I was expecting another song of that nature in here, but we didn't get. It. Yeah. They tried. Yeah, I did they... like the Batman song. Though. Yeah, I thought it was. It wasn't too corny. I thought it was. It was. Probably, it was funny. <laughs> it was very like Shaft, um, you know, inspired. Yeah. For, for that, um, I liked how they brought in Man in the Mirror. That's great. Right. Oh. <laughs> the children's choir. Yep. <laughs> the orphanage choir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't bother me that I didn't walk out humming a tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was happier that. They referenced the na 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 that again. Growing up on that, mm-hmm. like it didn't it didn't forget that. No. I love that. I love that. And how that that the Neil Hefty composition was in you know in the heavy metal uh, Batman. You know uh, that was good stuff. And and again, everything is awesome. I think that that's, that movie was almost predicated as like that like a musicalish kind of thing. This one isn't didn't bother me that they didn't come up with a jingly song for me to remember. I just remember that the music was fun yeah. to listen to, especially the opening sequence against, you know... Um, which the plane is oh, called a MacGuffin. The, the plane is called a MacGuffin. That was awesome. That was great. I think, you know, like, not to jump ahead, but, like, the promotions for this film also kind of played off of the black and yellow song. So, I mean, we, we had a lot of like references to already original songs, and mm-hmm. I think if you're going into this film expecting another original song, like Everything is Awesome, yeah, you're not going to get it. Right. But it had that, you know, the musical odes to the original songs that we really love. Yeah, there are so many cultural references in the movie. I think 
it's important to match that with the music sure. too. So let's let's talk about um, the promotion aspect of it because it, uh, you know a very smart campaign as as it even open up you know always be yourself except when you can be Batman. It's a T-shirt. That's a T-shirt slogan <laughs> that's been around for a while. Like that that saying, I think that's hysterical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you know, uh, and I think they've had four trailers overall, which is to, you know, I mean, typically what you you only at most you really do three. Mm-hmm. So you do a teaser mm-hmm. if you have the opportunity to do a teaser, which is usually about a minute, mm-hmm. and then you could do two. Official trailers. Official trailers, which could run up to two and a half minutes each. So, yeah. And then there's layered in with today, there's specific trailers that are online only, your television spots. Yeah, so this one I just caught the trailers and whatever was on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but th- there was a lot of marketing behind Also, there, there was another film <clears throat> that we covered. I'm trying to remember exactly which one. I'm not sure if it was Storks or another animated film. Very, fairly recently, where they did a short film by WAG um, that was pretty much a setup for Ninjago. Okay. Um, it, it was the Master Chicken. Um, or the, you know, the, the Master Ninjas. Right. We had that chicken and the Master Ninja, whatever, um, fighting against each other in Lego mm-hmm. form. So... Even that was pretty much a promotion for Lego. And that yeah. was just a few months ago. I saw the trailer for Lego Ninjago when I saw this movie. Yeah, the trailer for so that did was I. on the. I didn't see that. Yeah, you didn't see that trailer? Did you see that trailer? No, I didn't. It'd be interesting. Sorry. That one to me is the movie, the Lego movie that. That, that one to me is their risk. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the Lego movie. That, that's just being based right on Legos. This one has Batman as a cachet. This one... Fan following. You know, Ninjago. I'm like... I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I don't even, Yeah, I'm like but wondering... I mean, their marketing is going to have to be smart because they're going to have to really bring in the kids and they'll have to do the, the, the Lego thing. But this one, to me, is the movie that's going to... This would be the big test. Like, how big can Ninjago open up to and will... Will, will kids get it? Because I don't—I didn't even know what the heck it was, other than it looks like a ninja warrior. But yeah, that's exactly that. what it is. Like, forgive me, I can't remember what movie I saw <clears> because <throat> we cover so many movies here. But that no, we don't. <laughs> four minute or four to five minute short film was pretty much the setup for Ninjago. So if you saw that short film, you'd understand what the concept is of Ninjago. Right. It's a bunch of ninjas fighting each other in Lego form. <laughs> we'll find out. We will find out. Well, if it if it makes fun of like Bruce Lee type movies and things of that nature, then it could be good. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so let's go back to sort of the reception of it all. Um, obviously, very good. Uh, number one in the box office. Um, and Dimitri and I talked about this last show. Um, we talked about it with John Wick Chapter Two. This was a good weekend for box office. Um, a lot of movies did a, a you know brought in a lot of money, um, and obviously uh, this did too. Uh, and it's just good to see like usually as we talked about, February is a dumping ground for movies. Um, very high score on Rotten Tomatoes, very high score as well in terms of cinema score, an A minus in cinema score. Right. So uh, people are loving this movie. I think it deserves a little bit higher, even to be honest. But. I think A minus for me is is perfect, but yeah, we talk about the opening weekend, which you know is number one in, in just a little over four thousand theaters. 
Uh, and it does $53 million. And now we're going into a long weekend. Mm-hmm. We're going into the President's Day weekend. So you're going to have that extra Monday bump. <clears throat> Kids are out of school. Uh, if the weather in Los Angeles is going to stay the way that it is, going to the movies would be a good thing. Uh, as of, you know, its domestic total as of uh, February 16th, $64 million plus dollars. Um, foreign, foreign, it's done $37 million thus far uh, for, for, for its foreign take. You know, we're looking at a production budget, you know, I'm seeing as $80 million. That's that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's, that's 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 it's a lot of Lego almost, sets. <laughs> yeah, it's that's almost double what John Wick was, and that's a live action movie with you know Keanu Reeves. Eighty million, like that's the other thing. There was a time when people thought, oh, animation, that's a cheaper way to go. Again, with technology, you don't want it to look cheap. Yeah, you can't have it look empty. cheap. Sausage part. Well, uh, I guess. The, um, <clears throat> You know, to, to sidebar real fast, uh, Sausage Party, they specifically made it look a little bit cheaper, right? And that's part of the the fun of it, if you will. Sure. But uh, I'll, I'll it go didn't to... work with great for me, but... Yeah, and the grosses to that... I mean, I'm not saying that people didn't go to that movie because of the way that it looked, but when you're... When today's animated movies... You know, again, Pixar and Disney set this bar. And if you're coming... It, so that's what people are expecting when they go to these animated movies. So if you're a Warner Brothers, if you're a Fox, um, DreamWorks Animation, you have to at least come up, at least try to come up to the bar. You might not raise the bar. Like, I wouldn't say that um, Despicable Me is better than any, from an animation standpoint. It's not better than a Pixar movie. But at least it's up there. Like, you're not going to say that it looks cheap. This movie did not look cheap. No, this, the, no. You know, again, it looked... It looked like $80 fill, million. Yeah. It looked like $80 million. <laughs> filled the entire screen beautifully with all its use of color. And, and black and yellow and reds. And it was great. It was a great movie to look at. So, and did anybody see this movie in 3D? I didn't know. No, no. <clears throat> I didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah, it, you don't need to, It don't wasn't... Of, like I saw it in XD, but it wasn't in XD 3D. But I was happy to see it in XD. Seeing it on the large screen was was really good, and the sound mix was really good on this as well. Absolutely. So I thought it, I thought it worked great. Ninety one percent Rotten Tomato. Right now, it's one of the highest reviewed movies that are in the top five. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty that's pretty spectacular. Absolutely, you know, it's huge. It looks like they're gonna have. Looks like they're gonna have a really good hold for for their second weekend. Yeah, you know, just be, because of word of mouth, and there's really nothing out there for that market to take away from them. <clears throat> you know, you have a, a rated R comedy. Is this fight rated R? I forget. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, and well, Great Wall is now coming PG-13, out this weekend. But you know, you don't have anything for say the kids. So yeah. they're gonna have a they're gonna have a tremendous hold. Meaning that their second weekend, their drop. Yeah, they got till March before beating the meat. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the only thing that I see coming in. Anyway. And that's later in March, if I'm correct. Yeah, March 10th. Mm-hmm. Is it that it's soon? I thought it was later. Yeah. I thought it was around the middle. But they've got yeah. They, until they have real competition for themselves, like they can the more or less run the table. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
you know, bully for them. Yes. <laughs> you know, they, they're going to have a hundred million plus dollar grossing movie soon enough. Yeah. Soon enough. And then it'll up their sales in Lego. And it'll up their sales in oh, Batman. Yeah. And we know that... Legos they're are expensive. <coughs> yeah, oh, they are. they're really expensive. Yeah. I thought I could get them for like 20 bucks. Yeah, that, that, Jesus. That yeah. big Millennium Falcon's like 150 bucks. And it's Jesus. like, and you got to put it together yourself. <laughs> if I'm spending that much money, you put it together for me. Because I can't do that crap. <laughs> I'll put it together, but just give it to me for 20 bucks. <laughs> Jesus. I remember, like, you know, and you, that's all you get. I remember just buckets of buckets of, that's it. Yeah, but... Where's the buckets? But yeah. I remember grow, growing up, there were never licensed Legos. Mm-hmm. They were always just the blocks that's and the generic... And you use and your imagination. Yeah, yeah they had, right. the, like, the generic wow. gas station, airports, mm-hmm. fire, police. <laughs> yeah, it was all, like, just generic characters. It wasn't until... I don't know if it's it's been over ten years now that they started licensing out and getting DC, getting Marvel, getting Warner Brothers, getting Harry, Harry Potter. Potter, you know. Yeah. But they also do NASA, they do haunted houses, they do Disney. Now it's all about the license and how expensive that they got to pay for that license for. But if you run into a family whose kids love Star Wars and putting together Lego Star Wars, that that that. That shit is expensive. Like <laughs> even for like the small one, your twenty five dollars goes for like a you know three three Legos to snap together. Here you go. He's he's got his little land speeder. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's what the first Lego movie did well because they used a lot of those licensed Absolutely. Legos. You had freaking Gandalf in there first when you had Lord <laughs> of the Rings. You know, there, and of course you had Harry Potter in this one. Yeah. You know, with Voldemort. So I, I think the first one really touched upon the different types of yeah. licensed yeah. Legos more than this one. Obviously. And you know, you, to an extent, what this sort of kind of reminds me of. When you talk about the licensing, having to get J.K. Rowling's permission, I, I don't know, you know, if they had to get permission to use King Kong or Godzilla. I'm not sure about that. Actually, but the last time that I remember where licensing was such a big deal in a movie was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because I, they were mixing Warner Brother cartoons with Disney cartoons, and they had to get all of the licensing. Not only did they have to get the licensing for the characters, but could I have Daffy Duck play opposite Donald Duck. So what were you going to say? You found something oh, regarding... Yeah, um, the whole Gremlins and Agent Smith. Warner Brothers bought the... Oh, I the, forgot about Agent yeah, Smith, too. Agent Smith, that was great. Um, but Warner Brothers bought the MGM library, <clears throat> so that that's how we got the Wicked Witch as well. And, you know, we talked about uh, Kathy Bates or Moriarty. But, yeah, they also had license to MGM characters, and that's why we had a lot of different villains. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, here's a question. There's a question. Phil and I were talking about this before. Um, okay, so the shark. The shark that was a villainous shark. Okay. Now, me, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, oh, that's the shark from Jaws. But being that we're in today's world, is that a Sharknado shark? <laughs> no. Here's what, well, because they, they, um, I actually looked it up, and, and they've made reference that it's, it could be, but they've stated that it's, the Jaws, from, the, the shark from Jaws. Did Bruce. they call him Bruce? Yeah, yeah. Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Oh. Okay. And yeah. Yeah, they did do the lines like, we're going to need a bigger, oh, it's not the bigger boat, but like uh, he did make a line that I missed that clearly one. referenced flying Jaws. all over my head. Yeah. Okay. Like, we're, I, it was like, we're going to need a bigger tower or ship or something like that. Yeah. So. So. Definitely Jaws. 
All righty. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up a Lego Batman movie? Starting with Amelia. You open this up, won't you? Yeah. Well, I loved the snake clowns at the end. <laughs> snake clowns! <laughs> I think also one of my favorite parts. I don't think there's anything scarier than a snake clown, so that's where I'm going to leave it. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad it came around. Well, now yeah. you put it in my head, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Marissa. Um, you know, I enjoyed this movie just as much as the first one, and, you know, we always say sequels usually tend to not do as great as the first one. I think this is just equally as good. Oh, absolutely. I think it was equally as fun, and where this one may not have hit certain peaks that the first movie did, I think this one had things that the first movie didn't have in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lego my ego and watch my uh, Lego movies. Uh, yeah, everything continues to be awesome for Lego right now. And, uh, yeah, hey, I just say push, push on, continued success, and, you know, keep on being as creative and as funny and this won't burn out. It won't tire quickly. So long as you keep it interesting uh, and fun and witty and intelligent for the adults, um, then they can have a good shelf life. Absolutely. I agree. And uh, my final thought is I I enjoyed this movie. Um, Still, Lego movie is a little bit higher up for me than this one, but nonetheless, um, this one was a ton of fun. And if anyone has like just the generic Legos, I'm willing to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> no, because here's the thing: I like the idea that I can put my own. Like, if I want to make the Death Star, I can make it myself. I don't want the pre-built, you know. The I'll tell you what: the next time I go to Disney, there's a huge <laughs> Lego store in downtown Disney. I will look for just generic, just generic, just generic me, Legos for you. You know, you and go. and you'll get my 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 Disney Pass discount. Fair enough. (laughs) There you go. We got a deal. Um, I'll see you at Disney, folks. (laughs) um, Thank you guys for joining us. Let us know your thoughts on the movie. Um, Did you like it? Um, What was your favorite jokes? Which references did you absolutely love? How many times you've seen it? So on and so forth. Um, At DMovies1701. Please support me. Get me over uh, nine. (laughs) (laughs) At Serafini TV. That's right. Um, I don't actually know your Twitter. It's just at Amelia Fabiano. There you go. Spelled how it sounds. And after this show, she's probably got like a hundred, and I'm still at. Oh, oh. I just dropped to eight. <laughs> they went over to you. I heard. I'll make it. Yeah. Nice. And to Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys, and of course, uh, at the Popcorn Talk, check us out for more movies. Um, you made reference to uh, Beauty and the Beast. We've got that coming up. <clears throat> uh, the Great Wall next week. Fit, um, fist fight as well. And we've done over 320 shows um, in our library, so definitely check out those. I don't believe we covered the Lego movie originally. Yeah, we did. Oh, we did. See, look at that. Yeah, we did. There you go. Check out that one, too. (laughs) And the Harry Potters. So, all right. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.